Hello and welcome to the Mindful Innovator Podcast, Innovate on Purpose. This is season one, episode one. I am so thankful that you are here. Thanks you for showing up to this first podcast. Now, uh, just to give you a little bit of background of who I am and what this podcast is about, I think it's really important just to kind of go step back a little bit before just jumping in. So uh, my name is Matt Muller. I am a innovation consultant that has been innovating for over 15 years now. And um, it wasn't always that way. Prior to being within innovation, I was a retail associate. At 18 years old, I started working in delis um, in New York City at Wallbaums. And then I um, moved up into deli management, even though I was going to college at the same time. It was like, you know what, I can make more money as a deli manager than I can as a kid that just gets out of college with a tech degree working in, you know, cold call sales. So I just kept on going for, for management and stayed within the retail industry. And I, I did that for about a dozen years, um, becoming a manager at Wallbaums and then moving down to Florida and then becoming a deli manager at Publix, which is, you know, a great chain out, out in the uh, U.S. And um, at one point I was like, you know what, I just, I'm burnt out just like everybody else is right now uh, with doing the same thing every single day. I felt like just, I wasn't successful at the work I was doing. And it's like, I just need to get out of this situation. I don't care where I go. I just need to get out of here. Um, but it was hard because everywhere I looked to go was like taking a step backwards. So I wound up finding a manufacturer that created products for those stores. So I knew more about those products and said, you know what, maybe I can get a corporate gig with, with one of these companies. And I was fortunate enough to be able to do that. And I was excited. I got out of stores. I worked Monday through Friday. Um, it was a nice, cushy corporate gig. I did category management. So just uh, you know, looking at sales and, and building strategy for different categories of products. Uh, and I just sat there and I, I plugged through Excel spreadsheets and, and gave advice on where I thought the category was going. It was awesome. I used to go in early every single day just because I like to get there, you know, before anyone else did and just it was nice and quiet and walk in at 6 a.m., you know, make my cup of coffee, you know, fire up my, my computer and, and just kind of tap through those spreadsheets and, and get things done. It was just um, it was a great time of my day, especially, you know, being in retail where you spend most of your time running from, you know, one fire to the other. So it was a great experience. This one morning I uh, got a phone call at my desk. And it was like around 6.15. I was like, this is odd. I don't usually don't get calls at 6.15 in the morning. But I picked up the call and it was the EVP uh, from, from the executive wing. And he's like, hey, Matt, when you get a chance, I want to talk to you. Can you come up and, and just have a conversation with me? I was like, yeah, sure. No problem. Hung up the phone and um, debated whether I should pack my personal belongings for a second or take my coffee. I was like, I'll take my coffee because I just I love coffee. So I, I went over to the elevators and I went up to the executive uh, suite and I swear it was the longest ride in the elevator I've ever taken. My palms were sweating. I was thinking about all the things that he was going to tell me uh, while I was up there and I was just, my mind was wandering. So I sat down in the office and he told me something that I did not expect to come out of his mouth. Did not expect at all. Matt, we're starting an innovation team. We want to evolve the way that our industry looks. I want you to help us start that team. And I was like, uh, me? Like, why do you want me to start this team? I mean, I have a retail background. I don't know anything about innovation. I don't have an MBA. I just don't understand why you would want me to do this. No, I didn't say any of that. No, no. Uh, 
I thought that in my head. And what I told him right as he said that was like, yeah, sure, let's do it. This sounds exciting. I mean, who wouldn't want to help run an innovation team? That sounded so cool to me. I mean, think about all the different things that you could do. I mean, if you had a license to innovate, what are some of the things that you would innovate with your company today? Just if you had that opportunity. So I started thinking about all the different things I could do, right? It was like lasers, AI, VR, all these different cool things. I mean, AI has to be in this. I mean, everything has AI now. And then I started to look at all the different philosophies of innovation, you know, design thinking, stage gate, Six Sigma. And I read all the different books, Blue Ocean Strategy and uh, Innovator's Dilemma and so on. Um, and I just took all this content in. I was taking in all this knowledge of innovation so I can just be ready to go. Um, and it was just amazing taking all this stuff in. I started to subscribe to the to the mantras of innovation of innovate or die, fail fast, disrupt or be disrupted. I did all of that. And for the first couple of years, like we kept on just innovating these different concepts over and over and over again, but we really weren't disrupting the industry. We weren't evolving the industry like uh, the EVP asked us to do. I went to this one expo and we saw this sign um, that was inside the expo is it an expo for like merchandising. So that's why we saw a sign. But all these merchandising displays right there in front of us. Uh, and we kept on going from booth to booth. And this one sign kept on getting my attention. It was just like something was luring me towards it. I just didn't know what it was. But when I looked a little bit closer, I was like, oh, well, this is really neat. Like as you're walking, you actually see the, the, the screen kind of moving with you, like almost like one of those old baseball card holograms. It was just like, it was just like that. But it was translucent because there was like a, a video monitor behind that, which added another level of uh, just graphics and motion that really just demanded your attention. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I need this sign. I need to put this in my stores because I need to solve a problem of consumers not looking at my signs. And we took this sign back with the vendor and we started coming up with concepts that would make sense for our industry. And it was really awesome. I mean, it was like six months of work and just lots of different ideas and, and lots of resources that went into this. And we're like, all right, this sign is going to be awesome. So we put it in stores, we tested it out and you should have saw this thing. It was absolutely amazing. It was like a barbecue that was on the screen. It had burgers and hot dogs on there and a person standing in an apron holding a spatula and a beer. And as you moved, the, the screen moved with you. It was almost like you were in the backyard with this person. And then you would see like the smoke rising from the grill. And every once in a while, a little, little flare up of a flame. I mean, it really demanded your attention. It was so cool. We put this into stores right in the middle of Manhattan in New York City. And we tested out these signs in stores. And... After about a week of testing, we learned something very powerful. Nobody cared about our signs. We did not change any measures for success within this test. No new customers were looking at signs. We didn't have any more additional sales, not any more impressions. None of that was happening. And I couldn't understand, like people still weren't looking at our signs, even though we put this amazing sign right in front of them. Why would they look at it? It was so frustrating. I mean, and this wasn't like the only loss that I had in the back of my mind as I was being frustrated. I was like frustrated with a lot of different things that we had going on. And this was kind of like that straw that broke the camel's back. 
So I left the store that day. I wasn't living in Manhattan at the time. So I was going back to my hotel and I was walking down the block right on the sidewalk and just emailing like crazy. Like, you'll never guess what happened today. This is unbelievable. We had another test that failed. We need to do something about this. Just going on and on and on. And as I was texting and looking down, I saw this orange blur in the distance, just kind of growing closer and closer till eventually I had to look up and, and stop, you know, putting, looking at my phone, put my phone in my pocket. And there was this monk dressed in an orange robe standing there right in front of me in the middle of Manhattan. I mean, it was so weird. so interesting to see him right there in front of me. He had the warmest eyes you ever seen, a smile that was infectious. It was absolutely just like, what is this monk doing here in Manhattan in this concrete jungle? And there's like 15 people walking by shoulder to shoulder with me. And he gets into my path and stops me. And then he puts his palm out right in front. And on his palm, he has a wooden mala bracelet. And he offered it to me. He gave me this wooden mala bracelet. And I was like, thanks. Like, this is really cool. There's definitely something that's, you know, meaningful happening here, but I couldn't figure it out. I was like, I have no clue. So what felt like probably 10 minutes was about five seconds. He hands me this bracelet. He goes on his way and I start walking back to the hotel. Like, what is this bracelet about? Why did he hand it to me? Why did he stop me? And when I got to the hotel, I started to do some research on this bracelet. What I learned that this bracelet had a symbol on it. The symbol was a Sanskrit word, Ripka. Ripka, translated to English, means unconfused knowledge. And that's when it hit me. I was confusing knowledge of innovation for the last couple of years. Every single test I did was about innovator dying, fail fast, disrupt or be disrupted. It was about making sure that we found ways to add in technology like AI and anything else that was new that was coming out. We had to try and just use tech and go, you know, full blast to disrupt or be disrupted. And what I learned was that that's not what innovation is really about. You know, and it made me think about what was innovation like before a book or a process? What was innovation like in 4000 BC? I went back and looked at the stories of like the wheel and fire and weapons that were created back in the day, back in 4000 BC. And the potter's wheel was one of the best stories that I heard. The potter's, uh, potter's wheel was developed in ancient Greece back in 4000 BC. And what happened with this wheel was that in ancient Greece, they had a hard time keeping up with pottery. The town was growing and more people were coming and coming. And pottery was used for everything. It was their Tupperware. It was their, you know, places to plant. They buried people in it. They used it for, for, um, <clears throat> for, for food. Like, you know, everything was being used with this, these clay pots, but they didn't have the capability of keeping up with the needs of all the members of the town. So they found this circular wheel that they can put on an axle and place in the ground and then spin clay on it really fast with some water. And next thing you know, they can mold these pots so much faster. You know, that was one of the first day innovations. They did it without design thinking, you know, how, how do they do this? Well, I mean, we look at those, those, those key cases and then take on those beliefs of the monk and just try to just get into the breath and focus and just think about what were those key variables that are happening over and over and over again? What are those clues? Well, those variables that you see in every single case. So another case that I read, read, read about and, and researched was um, the wheelbarrow. And again, in ancient Greece, about 400 BC, 
a wheelbarrow was invented by a foreman and this foreman had this big issue. The issue was getting materials from one side of the site to the other. Product was really heavy. Materials were really heavy to move. Um, and it took a long time and it was backbreaking work. And he was like, I need to find, find a way to solve this problem. And he said, you know what? I could take the potter's wheel and flip it on its side, add an axle system to it, put a basket on top and then push material from one side of the side to the other. And it worked amazing. It saved him so much time on his sites. And he was like, you know what? This is the way that we needed to move forward from now on. In fact, you know what? I'm going to get out of the temple making business and I'm going to go and I'm going to start a, a wheelbarrow making business. So he started to develop these wheelbarrows and tried to sell them to other foremen within the area. And what happened time and time again was that the foremen were like, in no way, I'm not investing in that thing. It's cost way too much money. This is just not for me. It make, I'll never have a return on this thing. And it was extremely frustrating for the foreman, but he found one foreman that would take the wheelbarrow and they tested it out and said, okay, how much time can I save? How much, how much will it take until I get an ROI on this? And the foreman that tested this out learned that in four days, he was able to pay for the full value of that wheelbarrow and the cost of his labor, which made this a great return on investment. Um, and he could buy multiple wheelbarrows and get things done really fast. So it was totally made sense. That foreman that tested it told the other foreman. And next thing you know, all the other foreman jumped on the bandwagon or the wheelbarrow and started to use those wheelbarrows. And, and look, we're using the wheelbarrow to, to this day. So it was a great innovation. So these types of innovations that happened back long before are all had these three key variables. And the first variable is the problem, right? We have to have a real problem to solve. And the problem in the case of this wheelbarrow was that they had heavy materials that needed to move, move from one side of the site to the other. That was a huge problem. The creative change that improves this is the, which is point two, change that improves, um, is the fact that you have a potter's wheel that you're flipping on its sign and getting product from one side of the site to the other. So that's the change that improves. The third key variable is then acceptance, getting others to accept. And this time is where we, this is where we often fail within innovation. We are unable to get others to accept that our idea does fix that problem time and time again. That's, that's the issue that, that's at hand. Um, we may be trying to sell a concept in through the organization and somebody else has a different idea. And guess what? We all like our ideas better than, than, you know, others. So we tend to say, you know what, that's no good. And we start poking holes in things rather than accepting it. So how do you get others to accept it? In the case of the wheelbarrow, it was, they got them to accept it through um, the case study, right? By showing them that ROI. So how do you build that acceptance? These are the three key variables that I started using in all of my projects um, within innovation. And that's when we started to see some real success for the case of like the, the sign that I put in the stores. Once I was able to look at the problem and say, okay, what's the problem I'm trying to solve? And immediately it was like, oh, oh, that's what I was doing. Oh. I was trying to solve my problem. I was trying to get consumers to look at my sign. That was the problem that I was fixing. But guess what? Nobody cares about looking at my sign. It is very self-centered and not a great innovation just to, to focus in on solving that problem. But if I were to flip that question, you know, not give up on this completely, but just flip the question. Instead of saying, how can I get consumers to look at my sign? How can I get my sign to solve a consumer's problem? That's when you can have real innovation. 
we had like 15 ideas just like that. Well, once we started to flip that question around. So the real problem is how do I solve problems to get my consumer with my sign? How can I use my sign to solve those for the consumer? So we started to think about different concepts there. And this one concept was that um, consumers always come to the, the store and the issue that they have in the store is they there's apprehension and confusion about how they want their products um, delivered to them. And it was very visual, right? So it's like, I don't know if I want my product to be, you know, this thick or this thin um, type of variation. And what we wound up doing was we put a sign that had different visual representations of this thick and this thin so consumers can see what it was they were getting. And the employees could also use that sign to align with the consumer on exactly what that should be. Now with this new sign, not only were consumers looking at my sign, they were actually using my sign to get a job done, which was so powerful, right? Innovation should be getting jobs done. And now I have a sign that's doing that. Um, so extremely powerful stuff. When you start using these three key variables, we were able to create great change within the industry just because of those three variables. But I think you need more than just that. Like I said, this all started with a monk, right? A monk in the middle of Manhattan. And there's a reason why, right? It's just not because it needed to kick me into gear and say, okay, get moving and actually innovate, right? That wasn't the case. It taught me that innovation wasn't about that fail fast, disrupt or be disrupted or innovate or die. It's not about that. It's about being aware in the moment, right? So if we start to think about innovation, where in the moment being present for every conversation, for every observation that we're making, you know, for every moment that we're living, that's when we can have great innovation. So to add to those three key variables, it's very important that we sandwich them and we sandwich them with the beliefs of the monk. First one is that we need to breathe. No, super simple. We all do it, right? I mean, if you're not, then you're not listening to this, but you need to breathe, right? Just breathing in through the nose and out through the mouth and just being in the moment is where it all starts. We need to slow down because a lot of times what's happening is that we're trying to race this race that doesn't exist. A lot of times when I was innovating in the beginning, it was thinking about, well, what's my competitor going to do? Or how are other people going to apply AI? And how am I going to adapt to that? And you start to let your wandering mind take over. And you're making decisions before somebody else and another company makes a decision because, well, you have to do it. Otherwise, they're going to disrupt you. And that's not really the case. We're all running our own race. Yes, there's competition out in the market. Yes, I'm not going to deny that. But if we focus more on what we're doing than what the competitor is doing, we have a lot better of a chance of success, right? A lot of times we're just focusing on what the competitor is doing and then we're making reactionary decisions and we're pivoting every single day, right? How often are we seeing that come up in innovation today? The pivot, the pivot is so popular, right? We, we all of a sudden have to apply different ideas and we pivot next week. And then we, next week after that, we're pivoting again. And then again, guess what happens if you pivot so much? You start to just spin in circles and that gets you nowhere. So if we just stay focused in on the moment and be very aware of the decisions that we're making, we have much better chance of innovating with purpose. It all comes down to being in that moment. So step one is to breathe and be in that moment. I do that every day when I start my day to set my intention. 
I do it when I, before I make a big decision and before I start switching on different projects. I'll just take two minutes just to breathe and be in the moment and be centered on this project. Once you have that, then you go into your three key variables, right? Our first one is, so after you breathe, is find the real problem, change that improves that problem, find that, and get others to accept it. And think mindfully about all three of those variables. Like when we think about acceptance, who are the people that are going to be the detractors? Who are the people that I'm going to need to help me push this and launch this concept out? We have to think about all those players that need to accept, including our consumer. And we need to get them on board early rather than later. So how do you get those people involved to get their acceptance? And last, so there's two beliefs of a monk, right? The first one was to breathe on the back end of this. After you do the three variables and you breathe, then goes down to visualization. Visualization is a very powerful tool that allows us to see into the future. Well, not really, but I mean, it allows you to see your future, right? It allows you to see where you want it to go. And if you don't see where you're going, well, then it's going to be hard to get there, right? If you weren't looking straight at the road when you're driving, it's going to be hard to get to that point that you want to get to. If you're looking out to the side, car kind of veers off to the side. So you don't want to do that. So visualization is a very powerful tool that I use in every single day, every single day, every single concept I work on. Every conversation I have, I visualize it out to say, okay, what do I really want to get from this conversation? How do I stay on purpose and visualize that out? So you can close your eyes, breathe again, and then just visualize that scene. But more important than even visualizing the scene and kind of playing that out in your mind is to feel it. The emotions are very powerful. And when you start to feel, that's when things become real. So visualize, feel the success of that visualization, and then amplify it. I mean, double it, triple it, 10 times that feeling. Make that feeling so powerful that there's no way this can't happen. And when we put all those variables together, those five keys, that is when we can innovate with purpose. Just remember, innovation all starts with just being aware of every single conversation, every single moment, every single observation that you make. That is how you will create great change and amazing innovation. So that is what I have for you today here on episode one. I wanted to just give you my framework. Now, moving forward. I'm going to have guests, so it's not going to be just me talking at you for 30 minutes every single episode. I'm not going to do that, I promise. We're going to have great guests on here. And the whole purpose really is to help provide you with clarity so you can innovate with purpose, grow your business with purpose. This is for all business leaders that are looking to find a way to innovate smarter, more effectively to grow bottom line sales, to increase customer satisfaction, to reduce turnover. That is what we're gonna focus in on. We're gonna give you mindfulness tips that you can use practically on a daily. You can start using them tomorrow. So tomorrow, I hope that you start, or today, I hope you start breathing a little bit more purposefully. That is the goal. And think about the things that you're working on with this framework. But we're gonna give you mindfulness tips we're going to show you innovative concepts that are really unique, that are creating great change to this world. 
and we're going to help build you into a purposeful leader. That is going to be the key. We want you to be a purposeful leader moving forward. But I just right now want to thank you for your time today. Thank you for being here. I'm so grateful that you tuned in to the first episode. And this has been a joy for me. It's been something that I wanted to do for a long time. And I'm so glad that I'm finally doing it. Um, And I'm so glad that you're here to uh, be a part of this journey. So please keep on watching for some more great tips on mindful innovation and how to innovate on purpose. I look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you.